The Radical Secular Podcast, a demand for justice, equality, and rational public policy. Subscribe at YouTube, Apple Podcasts and all the major podcast channels. Visit our website at theradicalsecular.com for articles, insights, and our complete library of episodes. Support us on Patreon and follow us on social media. Welcome to the Radical Secular Podcast. I'm Joe Kipinti. I'm Sean Prophet. I'm Drew Scott. Today, we're going to focus on class struggle through the lens of current labor and supply chain disruptions. We're going to talk about the Pandora Papers scandal and the raging global income and wealth inequality problem. We'll discuss the proliferation of tax havens, even in the US. We'll also discuss today how long-term crises that like the COVID pandemic and the climate issue also feed into the story of income and wealth inequality. We're also gonna talk about Steve Bannon's indictment for uh, contempt of Congress, the horror and farce of white Christian victimhood, a video clip from Senator Josh Hawley that's beyond disturbing, and the Texas abortion ban. Also, chillingly, it had to happen. On the heels of banning critical race theory, a Texas school district has now embraced Holocaust denial. But first, as usual, I want to remind you all to make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends to listen. And please head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash radicalsecular. We have support tiers from $3 a month on up. New episodes post Mondays at noon, Eastern on YouTube and all the major podcast channels. We also publish new articles in our weekly journal at theradicalsecular.com. Now, let's go ahead and look at our t-shirt. What do you have for today? Well, I'm wearing the uh, Democratic Socialism Rose Fist which just you know signifies equality and it signifies not giving up the struggle for equality. And that's of course what we talk about every week here on the Radical Secular. And I think that is, we're just seeing the ramping up now of this inequality and this corruption, which inevitably accompanies it. And our only solution is to unify together for social democracy. So that's, that's my thought tonight. You got it. Right. Well, True. mine isn't quite as deep as all that. Um, I, I've just got, uh, well, you know, I've, I've worn a lot of mashups and also a lot of Godzilla shirts. This one is a Godzilla and Game of Thrones mashup that I made. Oh, <laughs> how do you, how so the hell do you do that? Godzilla and Game of Thrones. That's awesome. Well, so it's, uh, what does it say at the bottom? It says House Ghidorah. So the the, the, uh, the, tar, the Targaryen yeah. uh, dragon insignia is a red dragon, but it's a three-headed dragon, just like King Ghidorah yeah. in uh. Godzilla. So I did a color swap on the insignia and changed uh, House Targaryen to House Ghidorah and printed it on this T-shirt. Nice. That looks ace. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. So I got a shirt similar to your, Sean. That's, mm-hmm. this, from, this, this comes from the Spanish Civil War. In 1930s and so it's, it's the original antifa you know symbol honestly mm-hmm. and it's it's very apropos so that's it says it. uh no passeran yes thou shall not pass it kind of it is a religious overtone to it but again it's an a, a appropriation of a religious idea for a much better cause <laughs> yeah well i can get behind that all right for sure so actually before we get started i know both of you guys have something you wanted to talk about 
Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, just a quick plug. Um, I uh, did a, a, a appearance on another podcast uh, last week. Uh, a great uh, uh, show for collectors of uh, toys and other memorabilia. Uh, the Toy Amigos on YouTube and Spotify and all the other uh, podcast avenues. Uh, you know, if you're watching us on YouTube, you can see, and you've probably seen in previous episodes, I have quite a few action figures and uh, collectibles and figurines and stuff behind me. I'm way into that stuff. It's one of the things that's kind of kept me sane uh, in my it, it, yeah. it, it, in my quarantine time uh, during all of this. So uh, uh, it was great to spend some time with those guys and just go over what was going on in the uh, in the toy industry and all that, which is, you know, certainly while it's definitely, you know, on, on the scale, on the side of the first world problems, it's definitely affected by the supply chains and all that stuff that we'll right. get into today for sure. That's why you have a 3d printer, right? You can make your <laughs> <Yeah>. own. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that was, that was a really great investment. I'm, I'm printing all kinds of neat stuff, little, little props for my dioramas. And, uh, I, I made a mask for Halloween of, uh, uh, the front man from squid game and, uh, I'm having a great time with that thing. So, uh, yeah, just just nerding out over here to pass the time. And, uh, yeah, definitely check out the show. It was uh, uh, the first episode of their new uh, uh, Tuesday night program called Chat Migos Assemble. They invited me to be the premier guest. Uh, so, yeah, Chat Migos Assemble, episode one. Check it out. Will do. Cool, cool. Well, I also have some news, and that is uh, last night, which was Thursday night, I was on Narrative TV for a live interview, which is it's a pretty widely distributed show produced by Zev Shalev and Heidi Kuda. The episode is called Michael Flynn, American Fuhrer, and you should definitely watch it. My anti-fascist friend, Jim Stewartson, was also on to talk about the Michael Flynn story we covered here last week. And this also had very much to do with a cult I was raised in, which is called the Summit Lighthouse or Church Universal and Triumphant. If you haven't seen that segment, it's episode 66, and it starts about 30 minutes in. And I would encourage anyone who cares about secularism and the menace of creeping theocracy to check out that segment as well. We talk at length about the problem of the weaponization of God's will to create a messianic cult following. And this is happening right now in the United States of America. And the the QAnon cult has become part and parcel of the ongoing Republican efforts to smash American democracy. And I want to say something else about this briefly and give a couple of examples of how much all of this is just purely white Christian grievance. And just this overwhelming sense of fake victimhood coming from these people. It's its just, I don't know, it's a sight to behold. And this is the richest, most powerful cultural group in the history of the world, which is white Christian Americans, okay? Christianity is over a trillion dollar a year enterprise in the U.S. And white Christians dominate all of American politics. They dominate American business. And certainly they dominate American religion. And there's just no contest Yet this group of people pretends that somehow if their dominance is anything less than absolute, and I mean in every aspect of law and culture and even language, they have grounds to claim persecution. And this does also play very much into our main topic for the show today, because we know that wealth, power, and religion are pretty much the same thing. At least they are three strands of our civilization that are tightly braided together and very difficult to tease apart. So you can't, for example, separate class struggle from the struggle for secularism. And that's something that we constantly stress on this show. Every effort to hold the wealthy accountable, stop corruption, and broaden human rights runs smack dab into the conservative moral hierarchy, which is the Christian moral hierarchy. Let's not mince words. So the first thing I want to stress here is that theocrats have only one purpose, and that is to rule by any and all means necessary. These people have never believed in democracy. And the reason they constantly get all gushy about God and guns and overturning elections and threatening violence is because 
they know that they are not only losing, but actually have lost the battle for the hearts and minds of the American people. Young people in general want nothing to do with their shit and their abortion bans, their refusal to deal with the climate, their support for horrendous inequality that we're going to talk about today. Uh, Joe, I mean, it's just really yeah. turned off the 20 something kids and a lot it of other people too. Yeah. You know, so Republicans are trying to lock in their electoral power now by putting in place mechanisms in many states for permanent gerrymandering, voter suppression, and even the ability to toss out presidential election results when they lose. And this is an almost textbook manifestation of biblical apocalypticism. And that is the belief that there's going to be some big disruptive event, you know, the storm or whatever the QAnons call it, uh, after which the literal kingdom of God will be instituted on earth and, quote, he shall reign forever and ever as the Bible says. So this dark, twisted fantasy of this dictatorship of the kingdom of God is very, very, very bad news for anyone who's not white, Christian, male, straight, American, cisgender, and rich. And of course, if God doesn't somehow bring about this apocalypse, it's up to Christians to do the Lord's work themselves. And they're very busy trying to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so a bit later in the show, I want to talk more about this Christian victimhood complex that is the dark beating heart of the Christian political agenda. I've got a couple of hilariously dumb examples, and I also want to play a clip from Josh Hawley, a sitting senator of the United States that is simply horrifying. Is yeah. he a preacher or is he a public servant? It's pretty damn clear that he's a preacher, and worse than that, he's a theocrat. And the whole just a, just a terrible human being in general. <laughs> yeah, and the whole his whole Jesus shtick is a complete joke. He serves only pure, unadulterated power. He wants to make Christianity the law of the land, and he has no interest in representing secular Americans or those of any other faith but Christianity. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know what you were saying about the inability to separate the class struggle from secularism and and the Christian hierarchy. You know. It, that that's what we're all about here, you know, and, and I think that that's one of the things that separates our criticisms of some of these demographics from, say, the right. Whereas when we um, when the right criticizes, say, Islam, you know, mm -hmm. it's generally because they're xenophobic, racist and kind of ignorant. Our criticisms of Islam are rooted in the fact that the ideas themselves are sexist you know, uh, homophobic, anti-science, et cetera. It's not because, you know, people have a different color skin or a vowel at the end of their name or anything superficial like that. Like we're, we're criticizing the ideas and the, the substance of the ideas because we care about human rights, because we care about right. uh, class inequality, and because we care about the preservation of scientific values. Yeah, well human said. rights applies to all humans. doesn't matter what religion you are, right? I mean, yeah. it's across the board. You have dignity, you have rights. Everybody has a right to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and, you know, freedom. So if any, people want specifics about this union between white Christianity and the elites, wealth elites, read Democracy in Chains. That really specifies a lot of it. It's, in, it's incredibly well detailed and documented, and it really speaks to this th this union, this, this integration of these two things. They are so intertwined. Yeah, that's a great book. I, I can't recommend yeah. it highly enough. <clears throat> so I want to uh, begin our show today with uh, a personal perspective. Um, I'm an immigrant, and I come from a working class family. I watch my parents work incredibly hard to take care of me and my five siblings. Um, and, you know, what I want to talk about in this show is close to my heart. But you know what? It's also close to your heart. It's a close to all our hearts. We are all, by and large, in this together. The issue of 
class and economic justice is what we're tackling tonight. I want to say a word first about knowledge and discourse. I have found that a lot of people on the left resist embracing a class analysis. And there are many reasons for this reticence. Um, perhaps the biggest comes from the ideological history of our nation. Uh, Anti-communism has a powerful legacy. The class narrative has taken a big hit in the post-war era. As an example, MLK talked a lot about class, but somehow his popular legacy seems to ignore all that. And I can go on, on and on about similar examples. Class has been largely a taboo subject in America until recently. I think um, the Great Recession of 2009 changed all that. And now, of course, with this pandemic, that's made the issue of class even more clear. I think people are really opening up to examining this more. Um, so what we need to do is stop toning down our own rhetoric on the left. Folks, we are in a true, I would say, in a true sense, mired in a long-term class war. But it's not much of a class war at this point. We of the working class are not the ones waging this war. In fact, the discourse on class has been so co-opted in the post-war period that most people have not thought of themselves as working class, but rather of the middle class. And this, per this um, perception is now changing as well, I think. The elites do a great job at managing everyone's perceptions, but then shit happens, like a financial crisis or a global pandemic. And those things tend to break through that veil, fortunately. One last thing, um, you can't really separate the class from the race issues in the world, except in a sense to say that it's useful to do so in order to advance one's understanding. Focusing and specifying a phenomena is one, well, in science, that's what you do, right? In academia in general as well. That's looking at a piece of the whole for the purpose of greater elucidation. Like in science, we can separate um, the world into discrete components here, but we should never forget that we are doing this as a means for understanding. In real life, of course, we don't want to make that mistake. Class and race are intimately connected in people's lives. It's always important to bring it all back together in the end. Let's take a deep focus on class here in that spirit. Here, here. For right. sure. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the news first, shall we? Yeah. Uh, an FDA panel recommended boosters for many people who got the Moderna vaccine this week, people 65 and up, and those who are at high risk for coronavirus. The FDA advisors are also uh, meeting again I think they met today, and they may have already recommended a Johnson & Johnson booster shot. Pfizer, of course, has already been recommended. Um, so, guys, will this change anything? I mean, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. <laughs> Hold them down and jab them. I'm tired <laughs> of the shit. Yep. Just, just make yeah. it so that these people's lives are so fucking inconvenienced that they have no choice but to get the shot. Make it so they can't get a bank account, get a job, go to school, get on a plane, train, get a fucking library card. I don't care. Yep. You're endangering only, people. Yeah. You're endangering people. It's a public safety measure, you know, and and I was talking to an acquaintance about this who was saying to me, yeah. you know, well, well, where will it end? You know, where would it end? And I, I <laughs> my reply to that was, 
you know what that sounds like? It's like, you know, God, can you believe the government putting this stop sign in the middle of this intersection telling me where to stop my car? I mean, it's my car. I paid mm-hmm. for it. Where will it end? You know, it's a public safety measure. It's yeah. it's idiotic yeah. to think that way. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm over it. You know, when I was in my 20s, I worked in healthcare, and I got I had to take get a get a uh, Hep V vaccine. I had no choice, yeah. and I didn't d- think about it in any way, shape, or form other than okay, yeah, fine. <laughs> right? yeah. And that's the way everybody else did at that time. There wasn't an issue. So this has been generated, right? I, I think I think I think we really have to look at this as something that is a part of the the propaganda campaign of fascism. They have seized on this because right. people who people who would never have thought to refuse a vaccine are now like suddenly, oh, this is the most horrible thing in the world that you know we have to get this vaccine, and that's not an accident. This is this has been engineered and whipped up, and um, for me, from my personal perspective, all right, I'm getting that third shot as soon as I possibly can, which I believe so is am I. after the 29th yeah. of this month. Okay. Yeah. Because it, it, that would be six months from my last one. And uh, I was thinking about going in and trying to say that I, that I, you know, could get it now because we were actually scheduled to go to a Primus show, which has now been postponed, but I was really worried about actually going into an, uh, an auditorium, even with a yeah. mask. Right. And so, because, because immunity wanes. And so for me, my third jab is the key to my freedom. If I get that jab, I can go to a show if I want to, right? And so, like, I would, yeah. like, I would not hesitate. Yeah. Les Claypool is worth getting a shot. I'm just saying. I mean, <laughs> just come saying. on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and Sean, I mean, we're talking about this last week in our show, right? I mean, the whole thing is this whole thing has been augmented by Facebook, and uh, so watch that show if you haven't yet. Oh, hell yes. I mean, Facebook has just allowed this stuff to run rampant, and of course, the, all the foreign trolls, everybody who hates America. <laughs> Whether it's the American right or the foreign trolls or or Putin, I mean, it's just it's yeah. just a free for all, and they're making us all into look like fools. I, th- I think really it's one are. of the uh, the byproducts of all this interconnectivity, you know, uh, with the internet and the advancements of social media. It's it's like we all were able to you know gather in these little subsects of various ideas before we made sure that those ideas weren't going to lead to the destruction of civilization so it's uh yeah, yeah. it's a double edged sword well who knew who knew that it would be so easy to get americans to just to just give up to just surrender i know yeah well uh moving on because we have a lot to talk about tonight uh, i tend to avoid hyperbole but in this case i think it's warranted I would say one of the most important global conferences in human history is going to happen at the end of this month. 20,000 government leaders, journalists, and activists, uh, and celebrities from all around the world will be going to Glasgow for a climate summit starting, you know, the end of this month. And we're going to be covering that here on the Racket of Secular. And um, the background, of course, is a rapidly degenerating global climate situation that we've all have been you know, witnessing. Uh, one study recently showed that four-fifths of the world's global population is already impacted by weather events from that, uh, weather disruptions, great and small. And the these disruptions we know are accelerating. And we are at the zero hour. And also, by the way, La Nina has established itself in the Pacific. I'm not sure if you guys know what that is. I'm sure you guys know what that is. Yeah. Um, but, but if anybody in, in the audience does not know, it's basically a, a global weather pattern in the Pacific, the opposite of El Nino, that sets off a chain of atmospheric dominoes 
uh, that affect the world. Weather, weather in north, northern U.S., drier conditions in the south, bad news for California because of their drought. It's going to exacerbate that, among many other things. It's not going to get dull anytime soon, folks. Um, so <laughs> what do you guys think? Any thoughts? Well, it's hard to really say much about the climate that hasn't already been said. I mean, the, the, the biggest frustration I have is just the lack of action. And particularly now when we're talking about this budget deal, we know that there's just been intense, intense lobbying pressure on Kristen, Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin to protect the fossil industry because a lot of this money that was going to be spent was for mitigation measures that would help strengthen the U.S. resilience toward climate and reduce our dependence on fossil fuels. And, you know, a lot of clean energy stuff in there that it's probably going to get stripped out. And so when you see how easy it would be for one or two people to make a decision to really change the future of the world in terms of a, of a, of a you know, passing a great climate bill, right? Uh, that's all. It, we just need these two people to pass this bill and it would it, it would make a difference of you know 5 years or more in terms yeah. of 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 the progress that we could make and so it's there's just an incredible amount of frustration and of course we are all sensing this feeling this i mean the weather has been insane and um yeah. you know the fact is is i always thought to myself maybe 20 years ago that well if things ever really got insane everybody would obviously pay attention and then things would change no <laughs> no 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 uh, not, not with COVID, not with climate, people can be dying right in front of you and the politics doesn't change. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that there are some, some measures and proposals at this conference. And every time people get together, every time people talk, it moves the ball a little bit forward, even if it's just lip service. Okay. The fact that people are talking about it, it means that others are watching Business is going to change slowly. We got a lot of electric cars coming into into play now, and by 2025, it's expected that electric vehicles will uh, reach showroom price parity with a gasoline vehicle, which is a, which is a big deal because even though electric vehicles are cheaper now, um, they still have a higher upfront cost, and and so that scares a lot of people away. So we are in the midst. We are at an absolute nexus of of change that's going to affect you know the future for centuries. Right. And what gives me hope is that I, I've seen uh, cases where change is parabolic or, or geometric, like, for example, the gay marriage issue, like stuck, mm -hmm. stuck, stuck, stuck. And all of a sudden they just hit that curve, that hockey puck curve, right? And it just went zoom. Right? Mm -hmm. I think the same thing could happen here. I hope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Sean, you pretty much said it, you know, there, there's not really a whole lot that I can add to that because it's just, we've all been, been screaming all of this from the rooftops for so long. And it's just, so I just feel like we're all blue in the face about it, but yeah, you know, it, it, it requires a change in thinking in just in our society about, you know, things like, like single use plastic about SUVs, about, you know, renewable energy, solar panels and electric cars. And, you know, it's all the stuff that Americans a lot of the time just can't be bothered. You know, yeah. they're, they're fine with the way things are. They're fine with their car. They don't give a shit, you know, and it's, uh, uh, it's a lot of nimbyism. Nimbyism and also bargain hunting. Bargain hunting is a is a huge problem because it's it's just evolutionary. This goes way back into our evolution. You know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. And uh, you, you don't want to make a sacrifice, even if it's a little sacrifice. It's like, if I can have this now, I'm going to have it. And that's what where that's the attitude of a lot of Americans, whether it's you know about anything to do with climate, whether it's meat, land use, uh, the way they get around, uh, you know, flying, all those things. It's like, this is my right. This is my right as an American. And that's 
what were they, yeah. you know, the, 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 what Bush said at the very first global earth summit, um, in Rio, which is the American way of life is non-negotiable. And we're still seeing that. Yeah. And unfortunately the American way of life seems to translate to drill, baby drill. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, you know, the thing is that this is really a global issue and this global climate conference is really key because the importance of global cooperation has never been, you know, more, it's never been more important. Really, it's never been greater than it is now. And so I, I think this really dovetails with the next issue that I want to talk about, which is the fact that the U.S. is officially a member of the United Nations Human Rights Council again, reversing a bit of the damage from the Trump years. And honestly, just like in climate change, the importance of global cooperation has never been greater than it is right now. And that is not hyperbole. Uh, what should we be thinking about here, guys? Well, I mean, you said it, reversing the, the damage of the Trump years is like, it, it can't be understated. You know, that hyper-nationalist, isolationist uh, perspective that he brought to the world stage and basically, you know, he said America first, but really meant America alone. Um, now that we can kind of get past that, hopefully as a country, through uh, uh, rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement and things like that, that were off the table during his tenure, um, you know, I, I, I think that that's a really positive step in the right direction. Yeah, totally agree. And I think um, there's, I want to say one more thing about the United Nations, though, and that is that the US has really never taken it seriously, even though it's in New York, and we host it. And you know, there's always been issues, Republicans have always hated it, the nationalists have always hated the idea that we have to pay dues yeah. to this global organization, they've held up the dues, they've tried to uh, sabotage it in a, in a million different ways. And so I, I you know, this is and, and it's waxed and waned, depending on ad, the administration. And so I think uh, Trump was the, the worst, though. I mean, but he did yeah. go address the United Nations, right? Because he sees the power of the global <laughs> forum he sees that power and he's willing to use it for his own purposes but then he then he then he shits all over it with policy so but i want to talk about a little bit about the human rights council because it is a little bit um politicized whether or not we're on it and that is because there there are a group of nations well, namely the, the 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 mostly middle eastern countries the, the the islamic nations that really do not recognize the un declaration of human rights and i still have that hanging right on my wall right over there uh it is a big blown up poster of the un declaration of human rights and many of those rights are in conflict not only with with the islamic world but they're also in conflict with christianity and so the, the the theocracy that we're seeing, the threat of theocracy, would give the U.S. a reason also not to be on that Human Rights Council. Right. And and so this is a very fraught thing because a lot of a lot of organizations, religious organizations particularly, view the very notion of human rights as a threat. And so the, the fact that we even have to have that conversation, that we even, that we even have to argue that that there should be universal human rights, is it really just goes to show how far we have to go. Right. And it reminds us we are on an edge of the knife with theocracy in the world. We really are. Yeah. Yeah. And we shouldn't take anything for granted. I mean, Drew, I hope you're right that, you know, this is the beginning of a trend, but listen, we got to win the, the, the midterms, right? And yeah, we can't take it's, anything for granted. Absolutely. It's all, it's all very precarious, you yeah. know, but it's still nice to see these things happening as opposed to the previous, you know, four, four years, it, which were it certainly is. Yes. 
I'll take it. I mean, can you imagine yeah. if Trump was in office right now? Holy God. <laughs> no. Oh, God. <laughs> and speaking of precarious, right, the Texas abortion ban was upheld by a federal appeals court. And of course, we know where that, that comes from, right? Stacking the courts. And they've been mm-hmm. doing this for decades. And it will probably go to the Supreme Court. And, you know, the, the, the issue is going to be tested there. Uh, the Roe v. Wade protections that so many women have been relying on for decades are under serious threat. It's getting down to the final hour on this very crucial human rights issues. Any predictions, guys? Well, I have to say this. Obviously, we we were you know quick on the draw as soon as Ruth Bader Ginsburg died to know we would be exactly here, and yeah. everything unfolded exactly as as we thought it would with Amy Coney Barrett getting confirmed, and now we have the six three court, and I think that. That court is poised to do violence to Roe v. Wade one way or the other. Like if they were if they were going to go the other way, they would have stayed the Texas ruling. And now they have another case from Mississippi that they're going to be hearing in early December, which is a direct challenge right. to Roe v. Wade. And so and, and, but now we have two principles of the law that are at stake here. It's not just the, the, the right to privacy, which is what the right to abortion is based on, but it's also the idea that private citizens are involved in the enforcement of and, and you know the vigilante type enforcement oh, of, of, oh. in Texas that that is the worst part about this bill and it was written deliberately because since the state isn't enforcing it then the state can't be taken to court and so in order to take this to court they they had someone v- deliberately violate the law and then someone else deliberately sue right. and so this is a strategic thing to force the issue at the Supreme Court so we'll, we, it's not going to be very long for us to find out and th- here's the thing with the court is that the court is political in the sense that if you know, the vast majority of Americans don't agree with a decision, it usually doesn't go that way, uh, or at least that's the way it was. But now we have a situation where our elections are in doubt. And so the the Supreme Court has less of an incentive to care about public opinion. And that's what we start to see is when we start to see this kind of manipulation from gerrymandering on down, it, you have people who are protected from any sort of public pressure. And we saw this petulant outburst from multiple uh, Supreme Court justices, from Alito and from from Amy Coney Barrett, who basically said, the, the, "We are not political hacks." It's like, well, if you got to say yeah, it, right. you know, right? Exactly. Yeah, and I wonder too um, if I mean the abortion issue has been a recruiting tool for the right for decades, and some of them don't want to give it up. So I, I, they, they, I'm wondering if some of it's been slow balled on purpose just to keep that issue going, at least for some people. Now, certainly not for a lot of religious people, but for some of the political operatives, the the, the real cynical ones, you know, the ones that are just after power, they're not really interested in how. I, I think that they've been slow balling it a little because of that. Yeah. Yeah. This. Uh... This Texas Taliban shit makes me want to spit. It disgusts me. <laughs> um, I, th- I think that the sane women of Texas are uh, demonstrating an incredible amount of restraint by not burning some of those state houses to the ground. Like, what the hell? Yeah. Um, it's 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 one of those things that on the one hand, on like that, that, you know, baseline just a, a primal brain level. I kind of understand the argument, but then when you think about it for more than five seconds, or you have any understanding of 
you know, women's anatomy or science or biology or any of this kind of stuff or just human rights and how that line of thinking plays out, it, it falls apart. You know, it crumbles like a house of cards. And um, yeah, the whole thing makes me very angry. And Sean, you were talking about uh, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, how that we kind of knew the writing was on the wall then. I'll take it a step further and say, we, I mean, speaking for you and I, and I'm sure you too, Joe. Oh, when um, Trump won. Yeah, that was yeah, it. When Trump won. Yeah. That was that was the deal. We were saying in the months leading up to the election, we were we were saying over and over again, look, yeah. the Supreme Court is at stake. Even mm-hmm. if Hillary Clinton isn't your favorite, even if you think she's kind of a bitch or whatever, like the Supreme Court is at stake, you yeah. know, like yeah. you've got to think bigger than a popularity contest. I just want to get a shirt and a big sign or whatever that says Hillary was right about everything because she was. Yeah. Well, this is this is when when the rubber meets the road about the dangers of theocracy, right? This is exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. 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 I mean, Sean, you're spot on. She she was absolutely correct. I mean, downright prophetic in in a lot of cases. All the stuff about Trump and Russia and and a lot of the shit that she said was, I mean, prescient. You know, it's crazy. I'm going to get that shirt. (laughs) Yeah. We could talk about this all night. I have so much more I want to say about this because it really galls me. But um, so let's go on with Steve K. Bannon, the former (laughs) Trump official that has now refused to cooperate with a congressional investigation of the Capitol riot. I understand that the January 6th committee plans to vote next week to hold him in contempt. Other ex-Trump officials were given more time to comply. Is that enough? Or at least, is that a good start? <laughs> is it a good start? Uh, sure. Is it enough? Fuck no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> I, I, I've been seeing these headlines. It was a loaded of question, these, okay? Yeah, yeah, no, for no, of course. I know you're playing devil's advocate, but it's like I've been seeing some of these headlines lately of the the sentences that some of these January 6th insurrectionists have been getting. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a time, time that can be measured more in, in months than in years. It's shocking to me. Like, yeah. lock them the fuck up. These people are domestic terrorist traitors. What the fuck? You're going to let them out in time for the next presidential election? Are you fucking kidding me? What planet am I? What country am I in? What no. the f- actual fuck? It's, Am I missing something? Uh, no, you're not missing anything no. at all. And when we look back at there, the, the the only previous time where there was an attack at the Capitol involved some Puerto Ricans, and they got 50 years. So yeah. Yeah. that's all. That's that's all you need to say. I mean, it's like yeah. you know the white the white Christian Americans got a slap on the wrist and a you know a ticket to a football game, and <laughs> you know and and these Puerto Ricans got 50 years. So. Yeah. And, and of course, it can't just be the writers that get punished. It has to be the puppet masters, too. Right. For sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and Bannon is like, well, More aside from being the ugliest motherfucker in the universe. <laughs> oh, he's a fucking nematode. <laughs> but he's he's guilty as hell. And he he's proud of it. I mean, he's just like yeah. he's fired up. He's like, you know, he he gets his hobbit heads. He call, he calls them hobbit heads. You know, he gets the hobbit heads going and uh, he's he's ready to burn down the country, burn down the world, really. So 
Next item. I, I think we should have a shit show tidbit for the week, like the worst thing that we saw all week. And I'm <laughs> going to start with this one. Um, a Texas school district in Carroll Independent School District in South Lake, I think, Texas, told educators that they would have to also offer opposing viewpoints of books that say there was a Holocaust in order to comply with a new state law, the HB 3979 law that we you mentioned earlier, Sean, the effort to abolish critical race theory in schools. Reactions, gentlemen. <sighs> you know, it's kind of, how do you even react to that? <laughs> Jesus. Um, it's a sick fucking world. It, it's, it's sad that this, you know, alternative history is even on the table, you know, um, and this is all a knee jerk kind of gut reaction to, you know, critical race theory, which is really just teaching an honest telling of American history, which the reality has not been kind to black or brown people or women or a lot of other uh, uh, demographics and minorities. So if the result of us uh, being honest about that is now trying to, to push this false equivalence of Holocaust denialism. I mean, that's just that bl blows my mind. And I think it blows the mind of, of most sane and reasonable people. Well, here's the I thing. There's only one reason why somebody would want to deny that the Holocaust happened. And that is if they wanted to do it again, right? Because the lesson of the Holocaust is never again. So if you, if you teach about it, if you acknowledge what happened, if you look at the truth of it, you want to say never again. Now, somebody who doesn't want to look at the truth of it does not want to say never again. And so you get this teach the controversy thing, which is what they did for creationism. And it's what they did for climate. Right. And it's what they did for tobacco. It's what they did for lead. And, you know, it's even what they do, what, you know, the, the fucking flat earthers do, okay, is um, there's both sides. I mean, weigh the evidence, right? Do your research. Anti-vax, same thing. Okay, this is the same playbook that's been run over and over and over again. You don't attack this uh, directly because there's way too much evidence that the Holocaust actually happened. You just say we need to have another viewpoint. And the only people with the viewpoint that the Holocaust didn't happen are fucking Nazis. Yeah, directly. Yeah. For like real. not even soft Nazis or like what Nazis want to be, like real Nazis. At least that's what the way it was. Now, of course, it's becoming, you know, mainstream. It's it's chilling to me. Chilling. Like it gives me shivers that this is happening. Well, we're seeing stuff that, yeah, exactly. We're seeing things that all of the goalposts and signposts along the way, we're passing those signposts yeah. as we go here. And the fact that we've got a guy, we've got a white nationalist who's got a show that is watched by like 5 million people, Tucker Carlson. Yeah. And he teaches the great replacement theory. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and these are all just utterly fascist concepts. They, they are, they are taken right out of the white nationalist playbook. It's not even, it's not even funny. And, and just the persecution, I mean, and it doesn't stop there either. It, it goes on into, you know, he was making fun of Pete Buttigieg for having paternity leave. And he like yeah. made a joke about him like nursing. It's like, are you fucking nuts? Right? So, you know, it's just open season on there. Okay. On democracy, open season on black people, open season on gay people. 
open season on Jews. Okay. Because yeah. you don't, this is, these are not talking points that you bring up if you are interested in a pluralistic society. Absolutely not. I mean, it's one thing for fringe elements to be saying this, but school committees, school boards, Texas uh, government officials, it's just, it's just horrifying. Well, and the fact that they're getting backup, right? Like you can imagine yeah. that some podunk school board at some place might say something like this, but then they right. would be slapped down by the city or state government, right? But that's not what's happening here. We've got because the 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 crazies are in control of the entire Texas state government, and and they're probably going to stay in control of it because of extreme gerrymandering. So, um, but, but this is this is a good segue right here back into the white Christian victimhood yeah. narrative that I was it talking really is. about. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I just want to stress about this is that. This is a combination between between horror and farce, and I and and I just keep going back and forth because it's incredibly petty and stupid and small minded, but at the same time, it's also horrifying, and and it's also just the the screaming snowflakery of it all. I mean, how you know you 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 don't want to teach your children real history? Why are you afraid? Are you afraid of your own kids knowing the truth? I mean, and so. And it's not, and, and, and it's across the board. It's across the board with with white supremacy and white nationalism and religion. And so we're going to talk about a couple of examples here that are funny and also kind of sinister because, you know, and these examples are definitely both. So let me start here with a meme that I'm not sure the source of this. I got it from Roger Hoffmore, who's a friend on Facebook. And here's what it says. It says, please stop the harassment of Christians in the military. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, soldiers and hospitalized veterans are still intimidated by the anti-Christian directives, threats, and climate created during the Obama years. Hmm. What happened during the Obama years, right? <laughs> they are afraid to pass out Bibles, witness to their faith, and even give the book of John to those in need. Horror of horrors. What would they do without the book of John? So what does this meme tell you, though? It tells you that these people don't understand that not everyone in the military is Christian. It tells you that these people don't understand that America is a secular nation and that we have a diverse group of men and women in uniform and not all of them, not even most of them are interested in having Bibles pass out to them or being proselytized to when they're trying to do their jobs. You know, we have Muslims defending this nation. We have Satanists defending this nation. We have Hindus and Sikhs defending this nation. And we very much have atheists in foxholes defending this nation. Guys, what's your take on this? Why are Christians such professional victims? Well, um, you know, I think it's the fragility of the worldview. You know, once you start poking holes in some of these ideas and some of these beliefs, they, they, they crumble like a sandcastle. You know, um, once you start asking questions about virgin births or a guy living inside a, a whale for several days or <laughs> that bizarre and sadistic Job story or mm -hmm. whatever, you know, once you start asking questions about some of these ideas, you know, they don't, they don't withstand criticism. And so that, um, you know, I think is the root cause of the extreme snowflakery as you, as you uh, aptly put it there, Sean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a, like, I think you've mentioned this, Sean, a few times, there's, there's a fundamental incompatibility between a true secular society and evangelical religions, Christianity, mm -hmm. Islam, whatever it might be. They have very different and contrarian goals, right? Mm -hmm. they, they can't coexist, honestly. Like, if, if you really, if you don't really understand what evangel evangelical religion means, it's you want to convert everybody. That's yeah. your mission, right? Yeah. Literally. And so anything that stands in the way of that to them is feels like oppression. 
mm-hmm. right? I think that in part that's what's going on. But also, you know, Christians have are used to being on top. You know, and when you're the ones that's on top, when you're the oppressor, equality feels like oppression. We talked about this many times, yeah. and this is that's also what's going on here. But you, but it, you know what? It's not an excuse, obviously. So people, um, you know, trying to impose equality under the law when it contradicts their ideology to them feels like oppression, no matter what that ideology is, no matter if they're going to hurt people like transgender people, like gay people, like Jews, like whoever it might be, it, that isn't even a consideration for them. No, it isn't because they really like, like I was just saying a few minutes ago, they, the, the idea of, of human rights, secular human rights is just, is not really important to them. And when they say freedom of religion, they don't mean freedom of conscience. They mean freedom to practice their religion only. Right. And so here's another one that's just gag worthy. And, and, and this is a, this is a bus advertisement that says Jesus ween. Right. And it's like trying to replace Halloween. <laughs> it, it looks like it's from Ontario, Canada. And this is uh, yet another sick attempt to appropriate and hijack secular or pagan culture toward Christianity. And I remember when I was growing up, I heard a lot about this in the sense that all the adults would talk about how the real holiday isn't Halloween. It's All Saints Day on November 1st. Right. And this was drilled into my head over and over again when I was a kid that Halloween was a night when all hell breaks through into the earth. But then when the sun rises, God is back in charge and we celebrate the saints. How fucking lame is that? Right. And I'm just so sick of this shit. Why can't everyone just do their own thing? Why can't people celebrate darkness or light as they see fit? Why can't people just put on costumes and have fun? What is wrong with having one night a year that's dedicated to something other than talking about Jesus? Why can't Christians just celebrate their own holidays and leave everyone else alone? I'm not really asking that question because we all know the answer. It's (laughs) because Christianity is about total fucking domination. They get angry when anyone is doing anything else but praying to Jesus. They can't stand that anyone gets any attention other than them. And they're constantly trying to piggyback on secular culture. Like they can't just have a Jesus day on its own day. Well, they already do. It's called Christmas and Easter and every Sunday. But oh, no, it has to be Jesus ween, too, because no one else gets even one fucking day to themselves. So these people are basically still running the crusades and there's always a threat involved. It's never just, oh, come to our church and you'll have a good time. It's come to our church or else. And the or else begins with threats of eternal damnation. And if those threats don't work, if people don't pay attention after having their immortal soul threatened, then Christians always manage to escalate to threats of actual physical violence or state violence through hijacking the legal system to force people to conform to Christian rules. It never fucking fails. So I just want to make it clear that in a secular society, you do have freedom of religion. You don't have freedom to impose or force your religion on others. That's the difference. And you certainly don't have freedom to make the state a religious a tool of your, you know, your ideology. You have freedom of religion. You can practice what you want. Right in in the private realm, you can do that, and that but but not you know impose your will on others, and that's true of everybody universally, no matter the what the ideology be. is. Yeah, it's the way right? it should be. I mean, it's human. It's freedom of conscience is a human right, and that includes freedom yeah. of religion. It's just that simple. But it, but but they don't recognize it that way. I just don't yeah. want to say that. I, I lived in Salem, Massachusetts for many years, and I used to go celebrate, right? And I mean, Halloween in Salem is just intense. I mean, it's awesome. <laughs> and for a while, this evangelical group in the Midwest was coming, and they literally were setting up soapboxes to proselytize against the satanic, you know, uh, celebrations. <laughs> and it was a riot. It was so, it, people were just like, 
stand around and just it was it became a point like uh, an amusement ride oh, like some like, entertainment it just, yeah <laughs> it, it, the, it, there's so much farce there's so much like absurdity to a lot of this but it's farce <laughs> until it's not right exactly and you know what that is also a classic sort of uh key point about fascism that farceness mm. until it's not yeah people yeah. thought but, people thought that uh, hitler was a bozo right and laughed at him mm-hmm. until he what until they didn't laugh anymore yeah, yeah same with same with mussolini yeah you know, he was he was perceived as a bit clownish early on for sure just to do the gesturing and the posturing right but i just, I you just know, these say, guys are pounding the podium and all the yeah, stuff that they're yeah. doing you know <laughs> yeah yeah um i just want to say i see that jesus ween thing and all i can think is uh, you know inigo montoya from uh princess bride going that does not mean what <laughs> you think it means um <laughs> Because, uh, you know, is he, is he slipping me a wafer? What's what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, no, Sean, I, I agree with what you were saying about, you know, freedom of consciousness and all that. It's like, I don't think and I think maybe I've talked on this, uh, about this uh, on the show before, maybe not. But, you know, uh, I don't think any of us have. Well, no, none of us have the answers to life's big questions. Right. Like, why are we here? What, you know, what happens when we die? You know, these these big kind of uh, deep philosophical questions that science is slowly crawling towards some sort semblance of answers towards probably won't reach them in our lifetime. But, you know, no one has these answers. And anyone who says they have these answers definitively is full of shit. Full you of know, shit. And, and particularly yeah. that's that's fundamentalist. That's evangelicals. That's any yeah. anyone completely married to these ideologies. Now, me personally, my my, my personal thought is that. It's going to when I die or when we die, it's going to be a lot like 1837. You guys remember 1837? Nope. No, exactly. (laughs) Because you weren't conscious. You weren't in existence. So I think it's going to be like 1837. I got knocked out for surgery um, about a year and a half ago. And, um, you know, I've like I've never felt anything quite like that. It's not like being asleep. There's no dreaming. You're just gone. And if I didn't wake up from that that's exactly what death would be like. No, oh, well, we're getting to a whole other ball of wax here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, let's save this. Let's save this conversation. Right, sure, sure, sure. It's, okay. <laughs> it's cool. It's a cool conversation, but... Um, maybe we'll have that one on Halloween. <laughs> yeah, maybe. There you go. For a Halloween show. Okay, well, I've got one last meme, and this one isn't okay. expressly Christian. Uh, I'll give you one guess as to the religion of these white kids in the picture, though. Okay, and what are these kids doing? Apparently, they were at a homecoming dance and they weren't happy that there was a Spanish song being played. So they all took a knee. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that just sweet right there? Those young, privileged white kids (laughs) taking a knee. I don't think my eyes can roll far back enough in the back of my head for this. I think I'd go permanently blind. Um, But I don't don't think that that level of just shameless snowflakery can be topped. What do you guys think? I mean, it's yeah. it's they they so desperately want to be victims, you know. It's they they, they yearn for that for whatever reason. They see, you know, uh, uh, you know what's going on with Colin Kaepernick and all that, and they want that attention. I guess I don't know, or want to paint some kind of bullshit false equivalence, and it's just it ends up just being this sickening, disgusting, ridiculous display that anyone with half a brain looks at and goes, "What the hell." Yeah. Isn't that what they've done with all of social justice, though? The very same thing. Basically co-opted it and made it made their own tool. 
for their for their own purposes. It's like a, it's like their playbook, really. Well, every yeah. every Tucker Carlson show, he's claiming victimhood. I mean, he's the biggest yeah. victim in the world. This Swanson uh, heir, you know, who makes millions of dollars every year lying to the American people. He's the biggest victim in the world. Right. And everybody right. who's on his show is a victim. Michael Flynn was a victim on his show. You know, it's just like victim of the deep state. Right. So <clears throat> getting we can pretty much see every part of this uh, of white Christian nationalism as as victimhood and it. it I'm going to play you guys a clip right now, which is from Josh Hawley. And it just turns this victim narrative up to 11 and words kind of fail to describe what we're dealing with here, because this speech is on the mall between the Washington monument and the Capitol. And honestly, given the tone of this thing, I really halfway expected them to cut away and to see the Gilead cross having replaced the monument because the things just sends chills up my spine. And I want you to also take note when I play this clip, there's a bunch of running comments on the left side, because I guess it's taken off of a, of, a, of a Christian YouTube or whatever. And uh, these are American people who are watching this speech and cheering on this idea of the kingdom of God, of replacing our democracy with a Christian theocracy. Take a listen here as to what they have planned. Do you believe that? There's more to come. The best is yet to come because we serve a king who is on the throne and his kingdom is ever advancing. It is advancing. He's just getting started. And I think when it comes to our country, he is just getting started. You know, I'm, I'm here tonight with my wife and our three little kids. We've got two little boys who are eight and six and a little girl who's 10 months old. And my wife and I were talking about this and we wanna bring our kids tonight because we want them to see what a move of God looks like. This is a move of God. It is a move of God. And I just, when I was praying about what I, what the Lord would have me share with you, here's what came to mind. It's from the book of Judges. I bet you know this story, many of you. It's the story of Gideon. Do you remember this story? Gideon is hiding from the enemy and the angel of the Lord comes to him and he says to him, the Lord is with you, Gideon, oh, mighty man of valor. Do you remember that? Oh, mighty man of valor. Here's the thing, though. Gideon didn't feel like a mighty man of valor. Gideon was hiding from the enemy. You know, he was all curled up and hiding. And the Lord said to him, no, you're a mighty man of valor. You're going to raise up. You're going to bless your nation. You're going to help deliver your nation. The Lord's going to do great things through you. Here's what I want to say to you today. It can feel like we're under siege. It can feel like we should be hiding, like we should be quiet, like we should be curled up and, and, and in a ball. And what I think the Lord is saying to us is, rise up, mighty men and women of valor. Rise up for this time. Rise up. The Lord is on the move. And the Lord is going to release a revival over this nation, and it's going to be released through you, through you, mighty men and mighty women of valor. When we take our stand in the strength of the Lord, the Lord will release his spirit in new ways, and our country needs that. We need the kingdom of God to go forward, the kingdom of his healing, the kingdom of his love, the kingdom of his grace, the kingdom of his peace. That's what our country needs. More than anything else, that's what our country needs. And this is the time for it. So let's stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Let's be confident in what he's doing and is going to do through us. And let's say to the Lord, we're available. We are here and we're ready, Lord, for you to use us all over this country. So I just want to bless you now. I just want to pray for you and bless you in the name of Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you are with us. We thank you for the destiny you have for this country. We thank you for the destiny that you have for every man and woman here. And we thank you, Lord, that you look at us and you say, rise up. 
man and woman of valor rise up and so lord now we say to you we are here for you we say to you lord that we believe in you we say lord that you can use us however you want to use us and now lord we ask you would you pour out your spirit on us and on this country in a way you never have before would you release the greatest revival in american history over our country the greatest revival in american history and may it begin here with the people here here tonight we love you jesus we give our lives to you jesus and we thank you jesus for who you are and for what you do god bless you so much thank you for having me wow there's a lot to unpack there <laughs> um a lot of a lot of white faces in that crowd just saying mm-hmm. um first first observation second observation isn't this that same motherfucker who was cheering on the january 6th insurrectionists with like this. a big old fist, like this. fist bump yeah yep. fuck him yeah uh, and, uh, third third observation i was reading some of the comments on the sidebar and they were horrifying horrifying god god bless president trump uh fight to the death for the kingdom in heaven and like all these bible passages and oh my god like, what yeah. the well, people think people think that um you know people think that i exaggerate when i talk about theocracy but this is just sheer terror i mean we know what the kingdom of god means it means replacing the sort of whining snowflakery of christian victimhood with total christian dominance in the law it means everyone who's not christian will be turned into second class citizens or worse potentially be arrested and it means complete subjugation of women it means blasphemy laws. It means shutting down all freedom of speech for non-Christians. Mark my words, that's the plan. We wouldn't be here. We would not be on the air under a Christian theocracy. Yeah. Yeah. It, that this uh, person is has a seat in the Senate. Mm-hmm. That's really, yeah. I mean, what the fuck? this guy was a preacher somewhere in Alabama. Okay, whatever. You know, I mean, like, I don't like what you're saying, but you have the right to say it in this country, but not as a representative uh, so high up in our government. It just it, you it, it doesn't square. It, it's not what democracy is. It's not what our democracy is. And um, and there's a lot of hidden meetings here, like you guys are saying. There's, there's you know when you combine it with the January sixth actions that this guy supported, put those two things together, and what is he telling us? What is he saying? They're telling us exactly what they're going to do. They're telling us yeah. exactly what we have to look forward to. The the greatest revival ever in American history. What that means is, you know, that all previous Christian revivals will not match up to what this thing is. And what that means is a complete takeover because Christianity has been pretty powerful in America so far. Well, and again, the people who are sort of more progressive Christians and people who are more moderate Christians, you got to stand up to this because these people are representing Christianity. And if you really believe they're wrong, then say it stand up to it if you don't believe they're wrong you're just as bad as they are well that's it moderates are the enablers for extremists no extremist would ever get anywhere without the people who just go to church and don't really want to pay attention to what's actually happening and again no one ideology should have that much control right it doesn't matter if it's based on religion or nationalism or even atheism right nobody has the right to impose their will like that on an you know on others and they just don't freedom of conscience means just that and it has to be for everyone yeah so here it is and um you know the the show 
that we did last week and that clip, the half hour that you took out of it when you were talking about, you know, your family situation with uh, your mother's words being replicated by the, the high general there. Michael um, Flynn, yeah. Michael Flynn. That really directly speaks to this. And if people have not watched that, you really should. All right. So why don't we go ahead now and we will turn to the main topic. <laughs> now, this, is the, this show has a lot to it, right? But we will talk about the next half hour or so, uh, this issue of the economy. Mm-hmm. And what I'd like to do at this point is um, remind people, this is really a war on all of us in a way. Um, <clears throat> anybody who is not part of the elite corporate class is really being, is being directly affected by the policies of our government that have been you know, instigated and adopted through the power of the corporate class, which is practically most everything in government. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, the Washington Post, you know, did a uh, grand expose recently this week, uh, the Pandora Papers, and showed that there, you know, the vast reaches of the secretive offshore system that's used by the powerful along with the criminal together, right, to hide billions of dollars from tax authorities, creditors, criminal investigators all around the world. The details are contained in more than 11.9 million financial records. And they were obtained by the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, the ICIJ, uh, by hundreds of reporters. The Washington Post and its partners uh, basically brought this to the public in a very systematic way for all of us to see. These files penetrated the financial schemes and identified the individuals behind them in an unprecedented scope. We can now see all the better how criminals, politicians, and wealthy people have shielded their assets um, by the use of trusts and other offshore instruments. What's truly telling about this is that the papers don't have that many of the big U.S. wealthy names. And that's largely because the uber-rich in the United States tend to pay such low taxes, they have less incentive to seek offshore havens. Much of this very destructive uh, corruption to all of us, to the working classes of the world, has been legalized in the U.S. Legalized. That is really the key to understanding all of this. What was once thought of as illegal and morally reprehensible is now legal and virtually celebrated in our country. Remember all the talk a decade ago or two about curtailing offshore tax havens in places like, you know, the Cayman Islands and that kind of thing? What happened? Instead... The U.S. has become a a tax haven, the tax evasion for the rest of the planet. Mm -hmm. Incredible. I mean, South Dakota, Alaska, Nevada, and other states have adopted financial secrecy laws that allow for this kind of treachery. They have uh, the Pandora investigation shows that leaders in foreign governments, their relatives, their companies are all moving their private fortunes here Mm -hmm. to the U.S. uh, uh, in, in these trusts. Some of these trusts are accused of human rights and labor abuses, like illegally bulldozing houses for impoverished families to expand to expand plantations in Central America. And guess what? Guess what that does? What that contributes to, right? Watch, uh, it, it contributes directly to the U.S. border crisis, because where are these people going to go if they're being pushed out of their land, their houses are being bulldozed? They become refugees, and guess where they go? Uh, watch a video uh, in the show notes that we have posted on more, for more on this. 
Um, we should not allow, once again, this really important expose to just die a slow death like so many have. Watch the video. Pay attention. Yeah, and I, and I wanted to just pick up on what you're saying there, Joe. And there was an expose a few years back called the Panama Papers that basically right. said a lot of the same things. And the woman who exposed the Panama Papers was killed in a car bomb within a matter of weeks or months after the thing came out. So I'm glad this is the Washington Post because it seems like they're pretty fairly untouchable, at least in the, at least in the U S anyway, uh, but from these for now, for now, for now. And, um, but this is corrosive. Like, I don't think people understand really the scale of what we're talking about here. And if you really want to understand it, there's a book called Moneyland, and that's books a few years old now. So I'm sure it doesn't include these more recent revelations, but it really just talks about it's, we're talking about somewhere between 15 and $30 trillion that just disappears off the books in almost every country and then can just reappear wherever. And so you've got this power apparatus that is behind the world that is basically running everything. And they have the ability to just, you know, money can disappear and it can reappear. And it's like, uh, when that's, once that's happening, citizens have lost control. We are living in a new world of basically a, a new world monarchy. Even even though we have still the trappings of voting and democracy and things like that, and supposedly you know some freedom of speech and other freedoms of movement and association and things like that, um, we are really living in a monarchy, the power of which has never uh, it's never been so great. There's never been such great power arrayed against so many people in the world. There's never been the world population has never been this high, and you just can't imagine the depravity of it. And so. Um, that's all I have to say. Like it's it, and it's something that I think a lot of people don't want to think about because thinking about it means you have to recognize and wake up to the fact of how far gone we actually are and how difficult it's going to be to ever reestablish any kind of justice. It all ties in, you know. It's it's this this almost this perfect storm of white grievance and Christian victimhood and cronyism, um, and it's amazing to me how the Republicans are so good at utilizing some of these uh you know social issues that we've you know talked about in some of the previous segments uh tonight uh you know like abortion or like critical race theory and they use these to get people to vote against their own interests both mm -hmm. economically both in terms of climate uh gun violence covid any number of things um it's it's mind-boggling to me it is. And they're very good at it. I mean, they're much better at Demo than Democrats in terms of like creating coalitions and f and patting each other on the back and feeding each other's needs. Like the, the wealthy, you know, will, will support the religious class and the religious class will support the wealthy. And they do this, they, they've organized it that way. And it's very solid and it's still very solid. Well, this is the thing is that um, because people don't realize the scope and the scale, right? The Republicans don't even have to be good at what they do. There's so much money sloshing around uh, with, with lobbyists and, and there's so much campaign cash and so many contributions. I mean, we, we found out this week that AT&T is paying entirely for right. OA, OAN, right? And so this propaganda, we think, we think that all this stuff is coming from people's own heads, right? We think, why are people so stupid? They're not stupid, they're just manipulated. And yeah. we have to understand that the amount of money that's involved here, trillions and trillions of off the books dollars, 
Okay, and these are available to 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 move in any conflict. You know, you want to you have a school board race. Somebody dumps ten million dollars into that school board race all of a sudden, right? Right. From where? From from just out of nowhere. And now you've got a Christian theocratic school board in whatever town, right? And so it's just the the power is almost indescribable that this money provides. Right, and that's what we're we're trying to get to at this junction between you know these power bases that how they come together. And how they've organized themselves over decades to be very, very effective. I do still think you have these crises that come up that stir up the system and give an opportunity for change. I don't think it's completely hopeless. I think I think there is a possibility. I honestly think that capitalism is grinding down, and it's only a matter of time before it starts to fly apart. The center cannot hold. And I don't know how it's all going to happen, but I think maybe some of the things we're talking about today may be some clues about that. Um, I'm not saying when I don't expect a total collapse. I'm just saying it's just going to grind down and, and just be less and less effective, less and less functional. And then we're seeing that. We've, we've been seeing that now for a while. Uh, yeah. I mean, in 2009, the system almost came unhinged completely. They saved it at the last minute. I mean, the global financial system shut to a halt. It stopped. That's like somebody's blood flowing through their body stopping. That's what literally happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it's, I mean, that's not theoretical. It's happened. It's it's going to be interesting to see what happens this Christmas, you know, because <laughs> people, so many people are, 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 are vaccinated and people are ready to get back to their regular lives. But unfortunately, infections and variants and all that are still a thing and they're still disrupting the supply chains. So yes. the supply is not keeping up with demand. I'm sure plenty of us have seen the headlines about the dozens and dozens of shipping uh, 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 crates that are stuck on on tankers stuck uh, on the coast of my state. Yeah, tens of thousands. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. It's all interrelated, right? The worker shortages, the energy shortages, the supply chain disruptions. It's all basically the system beginning to unwind to -hmm. some extent. Are we going to be able to get it back together or is it going to keep unwinding? I don't know. We'll see a lot of these uh, a lot of these bullshit jobs, as you were describing them earlier, Sean, uh, you know, people were barely willing to do them in the first place. But now that you're saying, hey, there's this potentially deadly, highly contagious lung infection that you could get, that you're basically sacrificing your health and possibly your life just by being there, just by being out in the open. I think there's a lot of people who are going, nope, you know what? Fuck that. You know, I'll just I'll, yeah. I'll just live on the bare minimum of, of you know, welfare or or, you know, whatever, because it's not worth it to them. It's not worth the risk. It's better to be alive and healthy and poor. Also, I think a lot of people, you know, they haven't worked for many, many months and they're like, holy shit, this is the way life is without having to be abused. every right. day." <laughs> yeah, they got oh, a little yeah. taste, a little glimpse of what life could be when they could enjoy their homes. Right. And they yeah. ho- hopefully people shouldn't have had to wait until there was a deadly pandemic to find out what it was like to actually live in the homes that they spend all their day, wor- uh, you know, working for. Right. <laughs> yeah. And not be under the thumb of, you know, their employers, which, in, you know, some, you know, Obviously, it's different for everyone. There's different employees, different circumstances. Some places are good to work for, but there's a lot of places that are terrible to work for. Uh, more than you know, more than this should be, far more. And all of this, of course, when it comes to the consequences, what we can say is, uh, you know, wealth disparity, how bad it's gotten. And I, I can't stress enough how incredibly severe it's gotten. Wealth disparity is as bad as it's ever been. 
I, I mean, do you, what do you think, God? Do you, do, do you agree with that? It's worse than it's ever been. We are now past the point of where yeah. we were in the, during the Gilded Age. Yeah. And um, I, I just want to say that people don't understand the consequences of that. They're not educated. Oh, I know. I, I, I mean, I remember I got a lesson in third grade in public school about progressive taxation and why it was important. And I never forgot that lesson. And I doubt seriously doubt that with Republican school boards in place, that kids are getting that those kinds of civic lessons in school right now. And they just don't understand also when you get this kind of wealth disparity, what it really means for political power. And that's that, that yes. is the key. Like, I don't even care about the money. People will say, oh, you're just jealous of the rich. No, I'm not fucking jealous. I, I'm, I'm perfectly happy with, you know, in, in, in a middle class lifestyle. But um, what I don't want is I don't want them to have more power. They should have one vote, just like me, right? They shouldn't have a billion votes. It's also very destabilizing. Like the whole social democracy experiment that came out of the World War II, you know, post-war period, that was a way to stabilize capitalism. And it worked like a charm. It was brilliant. Mm -hmm. Having middle classes stabilized capitalism. It made it function and it made the large share of people comfortable enough to go along with it. And it was right? only because of the New Deal. That's the only reason that right? happened. And now that, that a lot of that has dissipated because of neoliberalism, people are, you start to see the instability creep back in, right, to our society. That's what we're seeing. And of course, how do you handle this instability? One way is to get repressive, right? And this is where fascism comes in. Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyway, to one other thing I want to say is um, Perception is also key here because perception is actually, in some ways, more important than the actual numbers. That's what's happening. If people perceive that they are losing out, that they're losing things, then that is actually creates more instability, more angst, more more uh, rioting, and, and uh, you know, sort of populist movements, right wing stuff. That's what that instead that feeling of loss. Because middle classes that were middle classes and, and go down tend to rebel. People that have always been poor don't rebel nearly as much. Right. They, if you look at history, right? So um, this is true at many levels. It's true in the, in the form of developed, underdeveloped country perspective. It's also true within societies and class differences. An example we all know about this, of course, is what we've been talking about this whole time, right? Uh, the, the fact that the world middle classes have declined. And in consequence, in part, not completely, uh, there's other reasons for it too, but it, gave, it, it led to this really powerful rise of right-wing populism across the world, including the Trump movement. As I said in the beginning of the show, uh, perceptions are changing though. More people in the US now believe that the wealthy have advantages over everyone else. Perception is changing. Uh, even the accountants and lawyers who service the wealthy, some of them are coming out and saying the same thing. And it's no wonder because when P someone like Peter Thiel, a tech entrepreneur that has something like $5 billion in Roth IRAs, can all of a sudden take that investment and pay no taxes on it when he withdraws it, right? That's, the IRAs were meant for the middle class, for retirement. And this is what they did with them instead. Uh, and so this kind of corruption, people are beginning to see it, legalized corruption is what it is, right? And so this is another dimension of the instability and then the rising anger when people begin to open their eyes and see this kind of abuse, basically. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, I, I didn't vote for him, but I think a lot of what you're talking about is why the Bernie Sanders campaign resonated with so many people Um, because people are angry, you know, and and there, there are plenty of people who have, who have been pointing out some of the root causes of this stuff for a long time. I I remember watching Michael Moore's Roger and me when I was very young Mm -hmm. and thinking, this is not good, <laughs> you know, yeah. seeing those huge lines of of auto workers who were laid off uh, walking out of the factory all pissed off. It's like there there are large yeah. scale ramifications to that. You know, uh, it's kind of like as we've seen. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of like if you're, you know, a, a, a lower middle class factory worker in one of these Rust Belt states that, you know, the, the factory has been closed down and these economic policies, I hate to admit it, from both parties have have caused damage in those regions. And so when this deranged carnival barker comes in and goes, we're going to fix your jobs, we're going to give you the best health care, it's going to be great, it's going to be amazing. You know, it's it's music to their ears. You know oh, what I mean? Yes. And so, I mean, yeah. so, so I can understand, I can kind of understand it. And, and again, it all, it all kind of ties in. But the problem with that is that, you know, if you take that deal, there's a lot of really, really terrible things that you're ignoring and looking the other way on, which is bad. So I can kind of, I can forgive people who supported um, Trump in 2016 who have regrets about it, who have remorse about it, because yeah. he was a con artist. He deceived. He really people. was. You know, yeah. but the people who were still on board after everything that happened in 2020, you know, it still supported him through 2020. Nah, man, no, man, I, I ain't got time for you. But I think all, everything that you're you're talking about, Joe, it yeah. all ties into the bigger picture here for sure. Right. And this is something that also hasn't been talked about enough. And I think not enough people really understand that the free trade agreements that we put in place are actually really, really good for the world, okay? They, they're really, really good. I mean, because everybody wins on free trade. The problem is, is that America's middle class was far above the global middle class. So free, what happens with free trade is it goes more like this. So the global middle class, which is a lot more people, a lot more black and brown people were coming up and doing very, very well in a That's lot of true. places. And, and, and white Americans were losing everything as a result. And if we had had proper free trade policies, what we would have done is we would have, we would have extended the new deal and created safety nets in our country. We would have taxed the corporations and the wealthy in our country enough to, to soften the blow, to, to, to be able to pay workers in this country, the people standing in line, Drew, who uh, you know you were talking about from Roger and me, those people would have been would have been immediately put into to programs to train them and to you know to just give them checks, just to write them checks, right? To right. not not to buy them off, but to to sort of soften this blow because when you look at free trade, it, it is it is absolutely a great thing for the world. I mean, the supply chain shit, you know, like. Obviously, that's a problem, but but when you look at what free trade has done for the world and and maximizing comparative advantage from one country to another, it's really a great thing, and everybody wins on that deal except except in this case American workers. So um, that's something that and, and uh, you know it, it it created it was fertilizer it was fertilizer for the Trump movement. Well, Sean, I I would agree with what you said, pretty much everything you've said, but I would add this dimension to it. I think we need to tie free trade with 
things like environmental laws, worker rights laws, uh, human rights laws, oh, and for so sure. forth. For sure. Because, because that would do a number of things. First of all, it's just the right thing to do ethically. Secondly, it would help equalize this disparity between American workers, wages, and so forth, and other, other countries. And I think it, it would um, you know, benefit everyone. And I think that people have talked about this to some extent. And oh, there's been yeah. some efforts, yeah, to do that. Yeah. It has been talked about. And I believe some of that was negotiated maybe with the Trans-Pacific Partnership that everybody was shitting right. on. Not enough, but some. Some some of those labor and environmental controls were in there. And I want to point out, by the way, that you know, we we like to talk a lot of times about the GOP and their issues with with you know union busting. But what really busted American unions was cheap foreign labor. And so along with all of that would have been helping uh, labor unions get, get a foothold in places in the world where wages were much, much lower. Like if people are making, you know, uh, you know, 50 cents an hour, a dollar an hour, that's where we want the union organizers to go. They, union organizing in the United States where, where wages are already much higher than that is, you know, it becomes a losing battle. Yeah, and also in the South and all the right to work states and so forth need to be get unionized. Uh, one thing I would say, the, one of the problems at a sort of deeper economic level is we have free trade of commodities, but not free trade of labor, right? Because people can't move across borders, and that creates a lot of problems. Yep. Yeah, and it's it's you know it's, it's one of the things that makes it kind of scary to see you know China's increased presence on the world stage. You see things like the same-sex kiss being edited out of uh, uh, the, the Rise of Skywalker at the end of the film to appease the Chinese government because they hold that economic power that they can do that now. Yeah. It's, it's, it's frightening, you know? Um, when, when we allow those sorts of power vacuums uh, on the world stage, that's the kind of shit that, that we get. You know? Well, yeah, we're seeing globalization operate in reverse, right? I mean, we we yeah. had like we, we we operate this huge trade deficit, and we send all this money overseas. What do we get back? Authoritarianism, right? <laughs> Authoritarianism and cheap products, and 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 all of that is where, yeah, I mean, China is just increasing in their power, and if we want to have a global government, we're going to get China's influence. We need yeah. global trade union institutions, is what we need. And, and and all kinds of union institutions so that workers can negotiate in terms of their power based on this free trade in the world. And if, if we only have domestic and local unions competing with global corporations, there's no competition there. You know, and that's what happened. And it's another way of looking at it. And of course, in the United States, unions were busted largely because of, you know, anti-communist propaganda as well. And it was yeah. very severely weakened. So it is a combination of all those things. Certainly the, the, the free trade disparity is a big part of it as well. Let's return just for a brief bit on to, uh, to uh, wealth disparity. I want to just talk about numbers a little bit because I think we need to. Uh, the gap is enormous. New data from the Federal Reserve shows that we've crossed an infamous milestone now. The top 1% of the wealthy individuals in the US now have more wealth than the entire middle class combined. And this pandemic did not stop the continuing trend of wealth disparity, despite all of the benefits, all of the aid and so forth. It made it worse. In 1989, the top 1% controlled 17.2% of the nation's wealth, whereas the middle 60% controlled 36.4%. So almost double. Um, according to Bloomberg, an article that I post in the show notes that you should read, uh, the article shows that 
The middle 60% of Americans' earners now hold 26.6% of the nation's wealth, and the top 1% control 27% of the entire hoard of wealth in the United States. That's According insane. to this, yeah, it is. According to this article, this is mostly due to changes in finance. The middle 60% have seen declining shares in key financial areas like real estate and corporate equities. In 1991, the middle class owned 44.3% of real estate, did not own 38%. That same year, the middle 60% owned 21% of corporate equities, that a number that has now plummeted to only 12%. The pandemic has made things worse on top of that, despite all the relief money, the Congress stimulus bill and all that. This is how it went. Billionaires accumulated a tremendous amount of wealth. Middle class and working class families just barely stayed afloat. The numbers, billionaires got 62% richer during the pandemic, $1.8 trillion of wealth increases in just 18 months. Well, this is really interesting, okay? Because this actually proves what we always talk about, what we liberals always talk about, that when you have generous government benefits, the wealthy people still get the money, right? Yeah. And so what we did during the pandemic is we have record low tax rates for billionaires, and we created this tremendous expansion of government aid. So where did that money end up? Exactly where we always said it would end up, which is in the pockets of the wealthy. And But now we're not taxing it back. There are, there are financial highways that do that. They're already established. They're there, right? Yeah. So, what are some uh, solutions, guys? I mean, besides getting on the getting out the gear teams again, right? <laughs> let's be nice now. I've got so, that shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me propose some, and then ask you guys about it, to comment something about it. The tax law reform could be a solution. Progressive taxes again, as we have before. Senator Senator Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts is leading progressive to implement a wealth tax, she introduced a proposal that would levy a 2% tax on wealth over 50 million and 3% tax wealth over 1 trillion. Some progressive, including me, uh, want to see no billionaires left in the United States. I think they're toxic. I don't think we need it. So I think that should go up even further. Uh, I mean, the gap is so bad that it isn't just leftists that are alarmed by this anymore. The Treasury Department itself said, quote, today's tax code contains two sets of rules. And they meant one for the rich and one for everyone else. Another uh, solution is reinvigorating uh, unions. Unions are the key non-government institution in modern democracies that check the power of the wealthy. The news is a bit better there, although not great. But a Gallup poll recently in early September found that labor unions have the greatest or the highest approval rating since 1965. I was floored by that. When I saw that, according to the poll, 68% approve labor unions, the highest since 1965. 90% of Democrats and 47% of Republicans approve of unions now. So far, that hasn't translated to a lot of change. Union membership has remained steady at 9%. But what do you think, guys? Will this make any difference? Um, you know, I, I'd like to think so. You know, anecdotally, I've seen it making a difference. You know, I mean... Um, one of my best and closest friends, he just got a union job, got, got a new union, and, and his quality of life has improved significantly. So, um, yeah, you know, uh, it's all about perception, you know, to these people 
anything resembling teamwork sounds like communism, you know? <laughs> so um, it, it's hard to say, but I, I try to stay optimistic. Yeah. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to say one thing real quick, Joe, I think you meant to say uh, a taxing over a billion, not a trillion there. I, when you were talking about Elizabeth Warren's tax plan, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, right. Did I say trillion? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just no, make sure I, listeners don't think that because nobody has a trillion dollars yet, at least not that we know of. <laughs> not yet. Yeah. I was I was a Warren supporter so in, in 2020, and uh, 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 I think she's fantastic. I'm fully so in was favor I. of her her policies. Yeah. So I I think she's on the right track. Do I think the country is ready for it? I, I well, would hope so, but. The country's yeah. ready for it, but we have the filibuster. And as long as the filibuster is in place, we ain't getting nothing. I mean, that's the that's the real Grinch, right? That stole Christmas. We also got the- Mansion and Cinema. Yeah, and yeah. Mansion and Cinema. And and yeah. you know, if we didn't have Mansion and Cinema, we could eliminate the filibuster. We could pass all of these things. But I wanted to po- I wanted to point out something else, and that is that this Gallup poll about uh, unions is is really good news. But there's another Gallup poll that has really bad news. And they asked people, and it just came out this week as well, they asked people whether they thought the government was too involved in the economy or not involved enough. And when they asked that question last year, majority of Americans said they wanted more government involvement. But now that the government has has issued all this aid and people are seeing inflation and all that kind of thing, now people are saying they want less government involvement. So this is kind of like a pendulum with Americans as it goes back and forth. And I think that this does not bode well for Democrats because Democrats are are pushing right now a very expansionist view of government. And if we get that through, you know, this is this is actually a now a, a minority position uh, among the American public. So I don't know what you guys think about that. I think it goes back to something you said earlier. I think a lot of Americans simply do not understand what's going on, the systems, the processes, what it, what what this all really means, what government you know in in society really means. They just simply do not understand, and they're very really easily manipulated by you know the propaganda. So, what's happening to the to the recession that we went through and the pandemic? really speaks to, I think, this larger class struggle that I've been talking about. People don't like to think about it in terms of class struggle. They don't like to think about class war, which is really a metaphor, not really at war, but it's a metaphor of oppression, essentially. Um, But one of the things that's happened is what people are starting to call now the great resignation, right? We we talked about it earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, The expiration of unemployment benefits uh, and other emergency financial relief measures especially in 22 red states, had little effect in bringing people back to work, despite all the rhetoric by the right. Of course it didn't. <laughs> yeah. And not surprising to us, but there are 10 million job openings right now in the country, yet there are 8, 8.4 million people actively looking for work right now. Um, and in fact, resignation is now at the highest level ever. And there's a, also an incredible surge in retirement. 3.6 million re- people retired in the last 18 months during the pandemic. And that's more than 2 million that would have otherwise retired. So it's more than double. Yeah. Well, and the other thing we have to, we can't forget, we cannot forget because we're all so fond of posting these numbers of COVID deaths, right? Some of those people were workers. And so it's not just people retiring or not wanting to work. It's the people died. And this is, I think I've mentioned this before on the show is that after the black death, the balance between labor and capital shifted toward labor for like 40 years. Yeah, and, that's true. And and I think we can we'll we'll see something like this again because 
capitalism doesn't function without laborers. And it's like, you can't have everybody just working at home. If you want to, um, if you want to run the world, you know, somebody's got to drive, somebody's got to bring packages, somebody's got to pack boxes in warehouses, somebody's got to serve food. And there's a lot of people who are saying, this is not how I want to live anymore. And they're, they're, right. they have enough either wealth or, 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 or public benefits or whatever to do it. I don't think it's mostly public benefits because they've cut way down on that. They've cut all the excess unemployment has, is, is gone now. And so people are, like you said, Drew, either they're, they're either, they're either deciding to rough it or they have enough savings or whatever to get by, or to just like, there's people going back to the land. There's all sorts of things happening where people are saying, this is not a good deal. It's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like in the matrix, you know, yeah. Mr. Ed, just like this, this corporate nightmare that, that people do not want to go back to. And, and this is the David Graver book, bullshit jobs, which I, we keep threatening to do an episode on this. And I think one day we will, but we should. About, about half of all of the jobs in the economy right now are useless, proven useless. And, and this is a really great book from David Graeber. And so um, anyway, I, I, I don't want to get to, to get more long winded than that on this, but you know, this is, this is a sea change and we haven't even close to seeing the end of it. Well, and to add to what you're saying about COVID deaths, I don't know what the numbers are anymore, because I really would have to look, but for every person that has died and maybe it's five or 10 people who have long COVID and who mm -hmm. have symptoms that, literally cannot get back to work too. So something else to think about. Yeah. I mean, people are, are uh, turning to all kinds of different ways to get by in this right now. I mean, over the summer we saw, well, I mean, first of all, you know, I, I, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, collect action figures and all that uh, and collect records and other things. Like I had this Mosquatch show up oh, this week. He's that. pretty cool. He's from a company nice. called Mezco. For our audio listeners, you might want to Google him and can't see him on YouTube. He's uh, the Mezco Mosquatch, just a cool little little figure. But uh, the whole collectibles world, be it comic books, action figures, anything like that, has gone berserk, has completely exploded because it's a thing that people can enjoy and potentially make money from, from the safety of their home. Right. Right. So this summer we saw Target suspend the sale of uh, Pokemon trading cards, those packets of, of Pokemon trading cards, because people were storming the, the pegs, getting into fights, pulling <laughs> weapons, stabbing each other to get Pokemon wow. cards <laughs> because some of them are very valuable. So you get this $5 pack of cards, you open it up and Hey, it's got a $50 card in it. Hey, it's like a, it's almost like a scratch and sniff, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and when you've got so many people out of work, who've got nothing else to do, but to go to a target at, you know, eight o'clock or whatever, right. When it opens and try and rush the, the aisles to try and try and uh, get one of these, uh, it, you know, it's crazy. And it's the same with, with any of this kind of stuff, because it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's a different world out there now. There's a lot of money right? sloshing around in the system and, but you still need somebody to, to deliver the goods. You still need somebody to yeah. pick the food. You still, you know, and this is what's happening is that, uh, all these supply chain disruptions are because we got people who are, you know, who have money to consume and nobody to actually fulfill the orders. And that's, that's a tough situation. Something's going to have to give. Yeah. Right. I wish we had more time to talk about supply chain disruptions, but what I, what I do want to say about it is that it's just really something we need to keep an eye on because it will lead to shortages 
more than we already see today, including possibly food shortages and so forth. So it could potentially be a really significant issue for all of us in a personal way. Uh, Remember, these economies that we have in the modern world, they're incredibly sophisticated, multi-layered, I mean, to say the least, and they've built up, they've evolved that way over many, many decades. And so they, they hum at this level, this great complexity, Right, and then when you throw when you throw shit into the system, right, it starts to, you know, teeter the whole thing. And at some point, there's a possibility to stop. Some of it could could just really unwind. You know, mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not making any predictions, but certainly the possibility is there. So we need to keep an eye on it. Anyway, that's our show. And remember, if you like our show, make sure to subscribe, leave a review. Uh, and support us on Patreon. Tell your friends to listen. New episodes post Monday at noon Eastern on YouTube and all the major podcast channels. We also publish new articles weekly in our journal at theradicalsecular.com. I'm Joe Kipinti. Thank you for being here. And remember, wherever you are, you can be radically secular. The Radical Secular Podcast is written and produced by Christoph Defoe, Sean Prophet, Joe Okipinti, and Drew Scott. Artwork and design by Tim Stetner. Post-production and theme music by Sean Prophet. Special thanks to our support team, Lindsay Brightman, Jillian Sky Jacobs, and Lori Field Okipinti. <laughs>